This morning's scripture reading is from Hebrews 4, 1 to 11. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested, <clears throat> and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time to learn more about you. I pray for Pastor Tommy as he preaches um, to us. Open our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to heaven in time of need. I'm going to read some scriptures, and I want you to see if you can pick up a pattern in what we're reading. Psalms 4 says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Jeremiah 31 says, For I will satisfy the weary soul, and every languishing soul I will replenish. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all who, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. John 14, he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. In 16, he says, I have said these things to you that you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And in Philippians 4, we read, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. As I read scripture, it appears as if there is a promise of rest and a promise of peace in this life. As we go through the prophets of the Old Testament, as we listen, read the words of Jesus Christ, as we reflect on the writings of the apostles time and time and time again, from the Old Testament through the New Testament, there is this promise that in this life, I will give rest. In this life, I will give peace. 
In this life, for those of you who follow after the way of the Lord, who follow after the things of Christ, there is a promise of peace and rest in this world. By contrast, I invite you guys to listen to the current realities. A recent study reveals that 40% of women in America are experiencing what would be designated as clinical depression. Over 20% of the total population suffers from clinical depression. This doesn't uh, include levels of depression that don't rise to a clinical diagnosis or those that have not been yet diagnosed. Uh, A recent study showed 44% of students reported depression, 37% episodes of anxiety, and 15% seriously considered suicide just in the last year. One study revealed the prevalence of suicide ideation in the population at 35%. And one study um, showed the prevalence of self-medication, self-medication in the United States to be as high as 90%. It sounds to me that there is a need for rest, that there's a need for peace. And the truth is, I think most of us would realize and most of us would understand that we don't need these studies to inform us of that. We can look around at all the people that we engage with and all the things that we see. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from the works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall in the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of the spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So there remains, it says, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. As we are working our way through the book of Hebrews in this series, we've seen repeatedly the author's use of the Israelites and their relationship with God and his promises as a contrast to where we as believers are now. That throughout Hebrews, what he's talking about is the old covenant relationship that the Israelites had in their time, in their age, in contrast to the new covenant relationship that we as Christians enjoy because of the work of Jesus Christ. Last week, particularly, we reflected on, in chapter 3, the wanderings of the Israelites. The way in which they would continually see the hand of God, but would look back on the state of the slavery when things got tough. That the Israelites, over and over and over and over again, as they would wander through the wilderness, as they would, as they would endure, they would encounter different challenges, and God would meet them. God would miraculously move in their midst. They would continue to grumble, and they would continue to, to get mad at Moses and even curse God because they would end up facing difficult times. The message that we talked about last week is, is how so many of these people missed out on the promise that God had for them and how it is a warning to us in our own lives not to look back and miss out on what God has. In this passage that we read today, 
The author of Hebrews emphasizes the place of rest that is available to us that we should not miss out on. Now, as people read this passage, there are primarily two ways in which throughout church history this passage has been interpreted, two what you would consider orthodox views, Um, two ways that throughout church history people have interpreted the rest that is being offered here in Hebrews chapter 4. The first way is the way in which I probably would have interpreted this. I probably would have read this passage for most of my ministry and for most of my Christian life. And it is not the way that I now read this and now understand this passage to be. Um, The first is this. It is to see the rest that is referred to here as the ultimate state of rest, the ultimate promised land, heaven. That He's warning us here to say, listen, there is the eternal rest that is waiting for you, and and you've got to make sure that you don't miss out on that. And he's essentially, the way you would read this is essentially to say that if you're not faithful, if 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 you don't hold, hold to your faith, if you don't stay in your salvation, you're going to miss out on the opportunity of going to heaven. That Hebrews is warning the church from falling away and losing your salvation. There are several reasons why I don't believe that to be the case, where I don't think that that is actually what Hebrews is saying. Um, and, and the first reason, and, and I think not the least of which, is that I believe that the bulk of Scripture supports the idea of the security of the believer. That when you come to salvation, when you come to true salvation in Jesus Christ, what is happening there is there is, a, there is a profound transformation of heart, mind, view, understanding. We see this all throughout Scripture where it describes the idea of coming, going from being somebody who wasn't saved to somebody who is saved, and it describes it in ways like this. You once were dead, now you're alive. You once were blind, but now you see. You once were lost, but now you're found. And that the idea behind it... That, that ultimately the idea behind what salvation is, is Jesus Christ opens your heart, opens your mind, opens your eyes to see the beauty, the truth, the righteousness that is found in Jesus Christ and the death and the destruction that is in this world. And what happens in that is you, you, you become set in your heart, it becomes set in your mind, what is true and what is false. The idea of losing your salvation would be going back into a state in which you now are blind, you now are dead again, you now are lost, and that somehow all that the Holy Spirit has revealed to you has been washed away, and you now embrace the sin of this world as life instead of slavery. The sin of this world is treasure instead of trash. And so I just don't believe when we look at what Scripture says that that is what happens in the life of the believer. That when we come to faith, we become a new creation. All things become new. I can go, I can go through scripture after scripture and, and make the argument beyond that. But I don't want to get bogged down in, in that too much. Just enough to suffice it to say that I believe what we're talking about here is not the fact that you're in danger of losing your salvation. In fact, in many ways, I think it's the exact opposite of what is being said. But because really the primary reason I believe that that's not what's being said is the context and the terms that the author chooses to use as he discovers this, this topic of rest. See, the thrust of the book of Hebrews 
is pushing to urge the audience to stay strong in their faith that Christ is the means of salvation. To not return back to the requirements of the law that are expressed in the Old Covenant. What's happening here in Hebrews is something that's what's taking place all throughout um, the New Testament. And it's something that we see recorded all throughout the writings of the New Testament. Early on in the first century church, what you had is you had a bunch of people who were, who were coming from a place of Judaism to a place of Christianity. Converting, moving from faith in, faith in the Old Covenant, in the old works, to faith in the work of Jesus Christ. And even as I just said what I said, it doesn't really actually accurately portray that, the, the, the state of things in the first century. For a lot of us right now, we look at this and we say that, that Judaism and Christianity are kind of in opposition. They're different faiths. But what was taking place in the first century church was this idea that, that we are stepping into the promise of Judaism. We're stepping into the fulfillment of the Old Covenant. In other words, there wasn't this belief that being a Christian was the antithesis of being Jewish. It was the belief that being a Christian was the fulfillment of the Jewish promises of old. And so there was this message, this idea of as we move into this faith in Jesus Christ, what is it that we have to hang on to? What is it that we bring with us from the old covenant, from the, from, from the, um, the old ways? We see this all throughout the New Testament happening over and over again. In fact, the, the, the Jerusalem Council that is recorded in Acts is really about that idea. What is it that you have to do, continue to do, if you're a Christian? And the message of Hebrews has been this. Don't go back to the works. Don't cling to this idea that you have to, that you have to um, bring that with you. Because there is a weight, there is a work that doesn't provide for you the rest that is provided for you through the work of Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews is saying there is a rest in Christ, a peace in Christ, apart from the old works of the covenant. Don't be in turmoil, but rest in the salvation brought through Jesus Christ. This is what is alluded to in verse 10 when he says, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. He uses the analogy of, 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 of God in the Sabbath rest after working for six days to create the world. He rested on that day. And he, and he brings us to that mindset. And he says, listen, guys, you don't have to work anymore. It's not the works of the law that brings you that. You have a rest from that works. The emphasis is on the rest that comes because Jesus Christ has done the work. That we can find in him a peace that passes all understanding. We can find in him, because of his work, a confidence to enter the throne room of grace. That through his work, we have a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light. And in that, we can find rest. That we don't have to live in fear of losing our salvation. That we don't have to keep striving to secure our righteousness. Because there is a rest in Christ, a peace in Christ, that's available to us. Now, now, even as I say that, one of the primary concerns that people have about the doctrine of the security of the believer is they almost always will, will come up with the argument and say things like that. Well, the problem is what you're doing is you're giving people license to sin. And when you have that position, you're just allowing people to sin because they believe that they can go to heaven no matter what they do. 
And my answer to that would be very simple. If your first impulse when I tell you that your salvation in Jesus Christ is secure is to say, oh, cool, that means I can sin as much as I want, my answer to you would be, I don't think you really know what it is to be a Christian. I don't think you're saved. The truth of the matter is that the heart of being a Christian is the realization that Jesus is treasure and the world is trash. At the heart of being a Christian is realizing that Jesus Christ is true and everything else is a lie. At the heart of being a Christian is the realization that you have been set free through Jesus Christ and the sin of this world is slavery. And if your impulse is, oh, I get to go back to the trash, I get to go back to the slavery because I can still go to heaven, I don't think you're a Christian. And I don't think you're actually saved and really understand what it is to come to salvation. In fact, the whole idea that we're reading as it relates to the book of Hebrews is about drawing near to God. It's about drawing near in relationship, in fellowship, a secured relationship with him that we strive for, that we desire for. This is exactly what is found in the work of the new covenant. The work of the new covenant provides a means to draw near, to live in real relationship, real community with Christ. And we value that and we want that. And what I found is that when we embrace that, there is a peace and a rest that is available to you. And I found that the rest available, the peace available through the work of Christ requires some important truths to take hold of your heart and to take hold of your mind and to take hold of your spirit that guides your life. The first of which is this. A deep belief in the value of the work of Christ. And what I mean is that you have a belief in the totality of the work of Christ and what it means for you. That you look at it and you say, there is nothing else that is as valuable. There is nothing else that matters as much. There is nothing else that means as much to me than what Jesus Christ has done for me. It's coming to this place in which you are rooted and founded in the belief that everything that Christ has done, everything that Christ has made me, everything that I have through the work of Jesus Christ has more value, has more meaning, has more purpose than anything that this world could ever, ever offer me. The embracing of this truth works essentially to eradicate the source of almost all of the internal turmoil that we face in this world. Almost everything that we talk about, when when we talk about people dealing with depression, we talk about people dealing with anxiety, when we talk about people dealing with turmoil, The truth of believing that the value of what Jesus Christ has done and who I am in him works to undo all of that. Almost all of the internal turmoil that we face in this world is rooted in pursuing, in valuing something outside of Jesus. Whether it is wealth or acceptance or or your own own self-worth, your health, your power, your prestige, When we look at all of the things that we talk about, when you go back to those studies, almost every single time in which somebody is anxious or somebody is depressed or somebody is in turmoil, it's tied to one of these ideas. It's tied to whether or not somebody loves me or accepts me. 
It's tied to whether or not I have the security of wealth or I have the security of position or, or, or I have the prestige tied to what I've accomplished. And we sit and we find ourselves in a place in which we feel unloved, we feel unsuccessful, we feel unworthy, we feel unjustified. And it's because we are valuing the things of this world over the work of Jesus Christ. This is why Christ makes the statement, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The world, he says, offers peace in a way different than I do. And the way that the world offers the peace is in a way that is continually unattainable, in a way that is constantly moving, never satisfying. Because it's never enough. How many of you guys realize you will never be in a place where 100% of the people around you will 100% approve of everything you are and everything you do? Has anyone figured that out yet? That there's always going to be people in your life that if you're hanging your value, if you're hanging your your self-worth on what they think about you, you'll always find somebody that undermines that. It's one of the reasons why the world we live in is, is the way it is. We are so caught up in getting people's validation and requiring validation because, so we can feel good about ourselves that, that there is no peace to be found. You shouldn't need me to validate you. You shouldn't need me to affirm you. My affirmation comes from who I am in Jesus Christ. And that gives me a peace that is not tied to what you think about me. How many of you ever noticed that, that enough wealth is never enough wealth? No matter how much you earn, you want more. No matter how much you have, somebody has more. And you're constantly driving towards that idea. The goal of peace and rest and success, as measured by the world, is constantly moving. It is a goal that you will never achieve. But the peace of Christ, the peace of Christ will only be found in rejecting the methodology that the world offers because you are so sure that what Jesus Christ offers is worth so much more. This is why Jesus uses the parable of the, great, the pearl of great price. He, he, he uses this as a very profound idea. He says there was a, that the kingdom of God is, is like a pearl that was buried in a field, and the man sold everything he had, gave everything he had, sold everything, all his property, all that he owned, everything he had to get that pearl. Because in that he realized that everything that the world had to offer him was not nearly as valuable as the kingdom of God, as what Jesus Christ offers to us. It isn't until we find ourselves in a place where we value what Jesus Christ has done for us and therefore what we have in him will you actually be able to find the peace that he's talking about. What he has done and who we become when we step into that covenant relationship with Christ it becomes the starting point of overcoming the world. And just even with that, it's important to understand what we mean when we talk about covenant because what it does is it reveals to you the deep value, the deep preciousness of the covenant we have now. 
As we've said, Hebrews has been all about the compare and contrasting of the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. In the concept of covenant, we find the source of the value of what we have in Christ. Covenant is this. Covenant has always been a two-way street. When you go into the Old Testament, you see over and over again, God, through his prophets, declaring this. If you do this, if you do this, if you do this, then I will be your God. And I will be faithful, and I will protect, and I will provide. That's the exchange we see over and over again. And we also hear through it is, if you do not keep my commandments, if you do not do what I tell you to do, then I will no longer be your protector. I will no longer take care of you and be your provider. It's why we see this, this, this series of events all throughout the Old Testament in which the Israelites will step into a relationship with God. They'll keep the commandments. They'll do all that God has. And they'll see the blessings of God poured out on them. And then when they begin to move away from the laws and they begin to move away from the covenant, they, they're overrun by the hordes. They're taken into captivity. It's a, it's, it's a testament. It is a living testament but to the inability of people to maintain their side of the covenant. The new covenant is still a covenant. It is still God saying, I will do if. But in the new covenant, through the work of Jesus Christ, what we have is Jesus Christ fulfills our side. Jesus Christ becomes the fulfillment of the covenant. We are able to accept him and rest in him knowing that he's our righteousness that he is the one who's justified us, that he is the one who has purified us and make, brought us into alignment with what is required of the law. He took upon himself our punishment as we fall short of the law so that we might be redeemed through him. Do you understand when you embrace that reality the value of what you have? That Jesus Christ has done it all that he has made us pure, that he has made us righteous, that we don't have to continue to strive, that we can find a rest. There is no law that we have to fulfill. There is no standard that we have to live up to other than embracing Jesus Christ and following him, stepping deeper into the relationship with him, drawing nearer to him because of his work. Nothing is more valuable than what we have received through Jesus Christ. I am approved of by God through Christ. I don't need anyone else's approval. I have been given a promise and a future that the things of this world can never provide. In all things, I have all things because of all that Jesus Christ has done. When we realize that this world is not our hope, it's not our provision, it's not our peace, it's not our value. We've already got that in Jesus Christ. We can release from the pressures. We can release from the fears. We can release from the anxiety and cast all our cares on him because we know because of his work, he cares for us. The second reality you need to embrace to find peace in Christ is having a faith in the truth of the plan of Christ. And this really works in two ways. It works in a universal way, the, that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And in a personal way, that there's a personal path given to us 
by Jesus. Most of us find ourselves wavering at times because the plan of Jesus is so outside the path of the world around us. I think this is something that you have to acknowledge and you have to embrace if you're going to be able to make it through and hang on and stay true and find peace. It is true that there is a way that seems right to a man. That when you look at the world, there is a way to live, that there is a way to be prosperous, there is a way to be successful, there is a way to live this life that seems right to men. But when the scripture makes the declaration, there's a way that seems right to man, and the end thereof is destruction, is truth. Because the way of man is a way of destruction, but the way of Jesus Christ is life, it is hope, it is peace, it is rest. And that way seems very different than the way of man. That way is one of humility. It's one of sacrifice. It's one of subservience. When you go through and you walk through the teachings of Jesus Christ, the truth of it is, the reality of it is, it goes counter to everything that the world seems to tell us about how we can be successful, how we can be happy. It's not in humility. Have you noticed around us how the prescription seems to be for fulfillment and happiness? Pride? And not humility? When we look at this world, there is a way that seems right to man. And when we, when we allow ourselves and, and allow the circumstances of the moment to push us off the way of Christ and onto the way of the world, we will not be able to enter into the rest of Christ. This, this is central to what Christ is saying in Matthew when he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When he talks here, he's referring to something that, it, that would be understood in the first century church as a way to follow, as a philosophy to follow. He talks in here and he says, my yoke is easy. The, the understanding of the first century church was yoke was, was the teachings of, the belief, the principles, uh, the way of a teacher. And so what he says here is he says, listen, if you want to find rest, if you want to find peace, you follow my way. And this is something we've talked about all throughout, all throughout our, our conversation in, in, on the book of John when we were going through that series. There, it, that Jesus Christ is saying, I want you to follow my path. I want you to follow my way. I want you to believe in me. That belief we talked about is not just this mental ascent, but it's saying I rest all that I am, I rest all that I do on the truth of what you're saying, of what you're doing. And so Jesus Christ is saying, look at me. Look at my life. Look at what I've taught. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've given you and follow that way. Because in following that way, you will find rest, you will find peace. But for many people, it makes no sense because it's so different than the world. Just consider the, the starting point that Jesus Christ gives. Jesus Christ says, if anyone would follow after me, he must what? Deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. This idea of finding fulfillment in self-denial goes counter to what the world tells us. 
The world tells us that, that, that you need self-actualization. You need, to, you need to be true to yourself. You need to be, it's about you. He says, deny yourself. And not only does he say deny yourself, but he uses, he uses an imagery that would be so repugnant to the first century church. And really, it's repugnant to the world. Or repugnant to the first century um, uh, Palestine. He says, pick up your cross. The cross, the cross was an instrument of torturous death for criminals. Nothing, nothing attractive about it. Nothing that the world would look at and say, that's beauty, that's, that's precious. Yeah, let's hang on to that. But that's what he calls us to. Because the way of Jesus Christ is not the way of the world. And you have to allow yourself to say, his way, his plan, is the better plan. That the, way, the path of Christ for you is the way of rest and peace. As I say, both in the broader reality of the way, but also for you in your life as an individual. When we yield ourselves daily to the call of Christ, it will be the greatest place of peace and rest you'll ever discover. You see, each one of us has an individual calling from Jesus Christ. There is the way, there is the truth that Christ teaches for all of us to follow after, but God wants a plan for you. He wants a path for you. And sometimes that goes counter to what the world will, will, will tell you, what the world will show you. There are times in which the world will look at you and say, that makes no sense, why would you do that? Maybe it's in going to this school versus that school or not going to a school. Maybe it's in this job versus that job or not taking a job. Maybe it's in selling all you have and moving to the other side of the world because he's called you to missions in a way that is profound and outside of what anyone would think would be a good idea. But you have to position yourself in a way in which you are convinced that what the world tells you is to be valued, what the world tells you is the way to go, is not the way, but the way Jesus says to go is. I had, a, I, had a, I had a good friend of mine who used to say all the time, the greatest stories ever written were stories written by God. And he was referring to our own lives. He was saying, he was saying there is no greater adventure than the adventure that God lays out for you. There is no greater pathway than the pathway he lays out for you. And you have to be willing to, to shut out the voices of the world, to hear the voice of God leading you into something that would be so much greater than what you could ever build for yourself. Don't ever waver from the conviction that God's way is the way of peace. This is what the Israelites struggled with in the wilderness. Think about the idea of how Jesus Christ had, or God had designed a pathway for the Israelites in the desert. And how many times did the path lead them somewhere that made no freaking sense at all? Right? Immediately coming out of Egypt, where, what pathway did, they lead, did, did God lead them to? The Red Sea. You want to talk about, you want to talk about a barrier. You want, you, you want to talk about something that, 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 that's going to be a bump in the road. But he led them right into that cavern. And, and what did they do? They're like, I don't, this is stupid. Why are we doing this? What are you doing? You're bringing us here to die. What are you doing? Which we do all the time when God leads us on pathways, right? 
But do you, do you remember the story God wrote? He parted that sea and he gave them a, a beautiful expression of how precious they were to him and how powerful in provision he was for them. And it wasn't like that's the only time he did it. He led them into places where there was no water and they would grumble about that. But only so that he could show their, the power by bringing water out of a rock. God will lead you at times down pathways that seem to make no sense to you or no sense to anyone. But be faithful to the path. Because the story that he will write with your life will strengthen you and bring glory to him. In this wilderness, he has cut a path for you. Stay convinced, stay confident, stay convicted in his way, and there will be rest to be found. So the first two ideas to embrace is belief in the value of the work of Christ, faith in the truth of the plan of Christ, and where these are able to become solidified and truly alive in our life is when we maintain a commitment to fellowship with the Spirit of Christ. One of the things I think you have to understand at the get-go is it is easy to follow the path of the Israelites, to get our eyes off the rest and peace he has for us, to seek justification in works, to seek acceptance in others, to seek security in things. All of these represent the natural gravity of our humanity. But we have to be given to finding a peace that goes beyond our humanity, that is discovered in the divinity placed in us, known as the Holy Spirit. Spurgeon, in his commentary on this chapter, acknowledges the way in which we are easily drawn to the way of this world. He writes and says, Brothers, it is easy to depart from the living God spiritually, gradually, to lose that serene and heavenly frame, which is our highest privilege, to forget him who ought ever to be before our eyes as the chief factor in our entire life, the great all in all, compared with whom everything else is but as a dream and a fleeting shadow. You see, the plan of God through Christ to secure our peace makes an accommodation for our tendency toward, the, toward turmoil. God, as he looked at what would be required, what would be needed for us and our humanity to stay on the path, to go where God wants us, to find the rest he has for us, realized we couldn't do it ourselves. And so he allows us to rise above our humanity by providing the divinity the Holy Spirit planted in us. I read for you earlier a passage from John chapter 14, which was verse 27, where Christ says this, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. But I want to pick up Christ's words just two verses earlier because I want you to see what he gives us to secure that peace. He says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. 
How does he leave us his peace? How does he give to us our, our peace? By giving us the Holy Spirit. The importance of the Holy Spirit alive in our lives, active in our lives, us pressing into that relationship with the Holy Spirit is what empowers us to move past our humanity to live on a path of divinity that Christ has for us. The gift of the Holy Spirit in your life is the source of supernatural peace that we are talking about. He is there to affirm the truth of the work of Christ. He is there to convict us when we step off the path. He is there to comfort us when we feel a sense of loss. And he is there to lead us to the plan of Christ. The moments that we spend in the Holy Spirit-inspired word of God, the times we spend in the Holy Spirit-soaked worship of God, the times we spend in Holy Spirit-anointed fellowship is where we find the peace that passes all understanding to have a rest in this life. Many of us need to realize that when you're asked to read his word, when you're called to to study his word and to embrace his word, it is the word of the Holy Spirit to us, speaking to us to live the life that God calls us to. When we come to these moments of worship, when we come to these moments of, of declaring and worship in the presence of God as his Holy Spirit is moving here, It's not just something to kill time, but it is stepping into his presence and receiving from him, leading, guiding, comfort, the realization of truth. The reason why he calls us into fellowship one with another, the word of God talks about this, that that, that we have one God and one spirit. We share the same spirit, the Holy Spirit. So when we come into fellowship one with another, we are there to encourage one another. We are, we are there to hold one another up. Last week we, we talked about that, the, 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 the incredible importance of, of encouraging one another. Remember I said last week that that passage says to encourage one another, to, to, to um, uh, lift one another up. When? When today is today. <laughs> That that Holy Spirit fellowship is what provides for us the strength. God has given you the Holy Spirit so that you can find rest and peace in the midst of the wilderness in which we now wander. If you are here today struggling with peace, maybe you can identify with the statistics of our society that I read earlier. I want you to know that there is a peace and a rest available to you. So many of us, even as Christians, struggle. So many of us can become these statistics. And it's heartbreaking because you don't have to. There is a way to follow him. Understand who you are in Christ, what you have received through the work of Christ in the new covenant. Realize, realize deeply that the path he's laid out for you, no matter how fearful it may be, have the faith to step in the steps of Christ. Have the faith to walk the path he laid out before us. And rest, embrace, live according to the Holy Spirit. 
And he can break through the fear. He can break through the anxiety. He can break through the depression. Because that's the pathway for his children. To find rest and peace.